Hi, this is Haley Beebe, the Carveline Color Admin. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Janus. All right, Paul, here we are again, probably our last episode. We're in the same room for a little bit as we're still honoring some quarantine measures in the future. But I have to say it has been a little bit more fun this afternoon as I have an audience of one that I try to make <laughs> laugh while we do this. Yeah, yeah, that is it is different when I'm not talking to a blank screen or having you on uh, FaceTime so that we can pretend like we can keep it together. Yeah, so we've been continuing down the road of stalking one Mr. Jeff Redfern. So update from Murdoch. He's done with whatever that mission is. So right now we're good to go. He says his buddies are totally in. BA was especially excited for this one. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. So, so we have the van. We have the uh, personnel. Crew. Crew, yep. yeah. The team, if you will. We have a team. Yeah. and um, We have a team. A team, yes, we do. And we are going to hopefully work this out and catch Jeff old school style, you know, maybe in a parking lot. You don't know, Jeff. We'll, we'll come. We'll find you. When you least expect it. Yes, we will be there. So, you know, last week we had on Matt McDonald, who is the director of rail yep. for Carbline, is also Jeff's direct report. He didn't really want to get too involved in our hijinks. Yeah, he didn't want to, you know, sell out his boss too badly. But we have this week, we're going to continue our rail series here. And we, we talked about interior just last week. This week, we're going to talk about selecting an exterior coating. And we're lucky enough to be joined by Joe Foster, who is our rail sales for South Texas. How's it going, Joe? Doing well, doing well. When we started this thing, we were told there's a 0% chance that we get Jeff Redford on the show, which is kind of why we've resorted to recruiting that team. What do you think? Do you think think we have a shot? Do you think he's going to play along, or, or is B.A. going to have to get a little rough? I think y'all might have to get a little rough on this, but it is possible. <laughs> I mean, Jeff's a big guy. Well, that's why we got, yeah, that's you know, why we got B.A. B.A., Mr. Barakas. He's, yep. he's a good one. Enough about that, Joe. Let's get into the topic today. One of the things that we want to cover in this episode is talking about the decisions that are made when you're looking at selecting uh, exterior coating for your rail car. Now, we're not talking about locomotives here. We're strictly talking about the hopper cars, the tank cars, things like that. Joe, let's start with the history there of a little bit because the thinking has changed as the uh, practices have evolved over the years. It has. I think that the thinking has changed as well as the way that people react to different regulatory enforcements. There's been a change from ALKITs. You know, ALKITs were the best of the best when they were applied, but obviously due to safety concerns, there's, you know, been a movement towards epoxies and acrylics. And even within epoxies themselves, people are now moving to a higher solids epoxy. Sure. And as we talked recently, even a couple of weeks ago, you know, as we evolve as a society and as we move on in pro uh, progress, wow, that was Canadian. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we see a continually tightening down of VOC restrictions. And so a lot of industries are moving towards this 100% solids epoxies. And with those 100% solids epoxies, they've really come a long way 
oh, I'm not going to say in the last couple of years, maybe the last 10 years, they've been slowly improving. And you get a lot of new properties out of them where they're not as, you know, susceptible to chalking as they used to be. They've got great chemical resistance for these atmospheres where you're talking about just incidental spills and splashes or, you know, wind-directed abrasion that you're going to get on these kinds of cars. And they really do hold up and they, they stand up to the test of time. Yeah, one of the things that I always tell uh, the rail guys is they're really lucky because we have a way of tracking what that exterior coating is on the uh, rail cars because they put a stamp right on there. I'm probably the one guy outside of the rail team who, when a train goes by, I... There's two of us. Okay. (laughs) I try to read what's on the side of the... Like, I know that stamp is there, but what makes it great is you have a living, breathing, no confusion case history for that exterior coating. Joe, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that? For sure. Well, I'll let you know when you get it real bad, you'll stop on the side of the road when you see one and pull over and take pictures like me and Matt do. So (laughs) So that's the next step, huh? (laughs) Yeah, that's the next step and it may involve some type of uh, recovery afterwards. But, (laughs) you know, with epoxies, I'll tell you, especially in the rail industry, it's been one of the major drawbacks I'll say was that, you know, it does require plural component equipment to apply and that used to be a really big investment that a shopper and applicator had to make some of those are upwards of you know nearly six figures of very very expensive machines but what we found is that nearly all applicators especially in the rail environment they have them now so one of the major drawbacks isn't even there anymore True. And we talked about that last week with Matt. Actually, we talked about it two weeks ago when we were talking about water tanks because they are starting to move to the same kind of uh, necessities due to some tightening down of the VOC restrictions. So yeah, once people learn how to apply that material, it becomes a no-brainer. It really isn't that much more difficult. It's really a, a matter of owning the right equipment. You know, Joe, going down that path, If I remember correctly, your background is primarily from a shop perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the benefits or some of the decision-making process that comes in when a shop is choosing how they're going to apply a product or which products they're going to apply? Absolutely. So from a shop perspective, the two biggest things that you're concerned with, you know, outside of the obvious, which is safety and well-being of, of your employees, but from a production standpoint, capacity and throughput, and they're related, but the amount of car spaces that you have in your yard is limited. The amount of cars that fit in your shop is limited in each bay of your shop, all the way to the individual blast booth. Any types of products that can dry quicker, can speed up the dry time, anything to help the cure, as long as the entire cycle of the car, if you can shorten that even by a matter of minutes, it matters to a shop. Sure. And when you move into those 100% solids uh, technologies, now you're getting uh, significantly faster cures and faster throughput. Absolutely right. So basically a life of a car, let's say it can, you know, dry half a day sooner. You could get the stencils applied and have that car to the outbound track a day earlier. And uh, to shorten the life of a car as it resides inside of a shop for the duration of a service event for one day is absolutely huge. And, you know, on that path, One of the side benefits that we also see with the 100% solids or very high solids in some cases, the reduction in the need of thinners. So we're actually reducing, we're reducing helping to keep down the VOCs for the total application of the shop, which helps open up options if there are other things that they need to use. Maybe a lining they have to use a solvented epoxy for. By helping to reduce it with these 100 solids on the outside, 
helps to keep their shop output low. Absolutely right. More room that you can get inside of your permit. Everybody obviously is, you know, doing the best they can to stay within the, you know, regulatory confinements that are given to them. But you only get a certain amount. And if you can reduce it and therefore you can, you know, increase it somewhere else, that's a great point. One of the things that is interesting, talk about when a shop gets used to applying a coating and how that helps the throughput as well. Well, when you're looking at, you know, the paint applicators, they're robots, they're not machines, these are human beings. So naturally, I would love to see, and I did love to, I was over a shop, spraying as few materials as possible. The less different things these guys have to learn, the better. And the other side of that is the more often that they're spraying the same coating, they feel really confident in the way that it's going to spray. They're going to be more efficient at what they do. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, We've brought that up before, and it's one of the questions when you call into tech service that we'll ask frequently is, flying. what type of coatings do they do? Because I think you hit it right on the head when you said the more they spray that material, the more efficient they get at it, the better they are at it, and the better the total job is, the happier everybody is. So that familiarity is frequently a good thing in these types of situations. And there is, on top of that, there's tangible savings. I mean, for every... Well, I can't say for every, but for most coatings that are applied that are different, they're going to involve, you know, probably a different tip. And, you know, I can assure you that, you know, once a tip is used and gets exchanged for another tip, as much as I would have liked for it to have been saved and reapplied, that just wasn't the case. And so uh, maintenance, parts, there's a lot of benefits from sticking to the same paint. That's right. Everybody's familiar with our Carbothane 134HG. But what we did is we took that and we put some more UV resistance in there. And that's where we got the Carbothane 134 UV Ultra. This exceeds the SSPC coating specification number 36, level 3A. That is the highest you can get. Can't get any higher than that. So this is the top of the line UV resistance that you can get in a polyurethane. It is suitable for your AWWA OCS systems uh, 5, 6, and 7. But basically, you would want to use this anywhere where you want exceptional UV resistance, color and gloss retention. This is your product, the Carbothane 134 UV Ultra. So as we expand from, from a shop perspective, what are the important characteristics or properties that an owner might take into account? Well, uh, to be frank, there's one big one is that they're generally the one that's going to be footing the bill. So, you know, cost is important to them. I think it's important to note that when you're looking at cost, as you guys have gone through previously, it's not just the cost per gallon they need to be concerned about. Sure. Yeah. If you go back just uh, a couple weeks ago, really uh, about five weeks ago now, uh, we had an episode where we talked about if you look at things strictly by per gallon price, you are really doing yourself a disservice because you can take something that is half the cost per gallon, but when you look at how far it goes and you do all the math there, it might actually be a higher cost uh, just for the material because it doesn't go as far, you know, especially when you're looking at water for exteriors, two of the bigger things that are used right now are acrylic-based paints and 100% solids epoxies. Well, the acrylic-based paints a lot of times are in the 35 to 40% solids range, so they're not going to cover nearly as much. So for it to be equal, they would need to be 30 to 40% of the price per gallon. So that is an important distinction to make. As we go there, you know, obviously they care about price, but I would think that they care 
also about longevity too, the life cycle, because that has an effect on the overall cost to maintain that particular asset throughout its life. You nailed it. So even if two, you know, paints that were of different brands were the exact same price and one only lasted half as long as the other, you know, it's still going to be twice as much. Uh, a rail car, if you're looking at from the time the paint is applied when it was built new, has a lifespan of about 50 years. A car hits a shop, most cars for most commodities, every 10 years for regulatory compliance. And at that time, generally, a decision is made whether to paint. So there's some really magic numbers in real car when you're looking at life expectancy of a coating system and how that impacts costs. And to build on that a little more is let's say that there was a paint that lasted, you know, exactly 17 years. That's not necessarily a good thing in comparison to one that lasted maybe 10 years because no one wants to shop a car only to paint it. So if they knew that the paint was going to, you know, degrade to a point to where it would have to be recoded within the next 10 years, they would actually have to paint it, you know, with seven years of life left. So if you can find a coating to get to that magic number of 10 or 20, that's when you can see a real impact. So really what it sounds like you're saying is we just need to apply paint that is as good as the aerosol cans that are usually used to decorate those cars. <laughs> well, one of the things that's interesting about that is I hadn't even really realized that, that the important aspect of fitting the painting into the already scheduled maintenance cycle for that rail car. That is something, honestly, Joe, that I just learned right now. And uh, hopefully our, our listeners will take something from that because you know, we're just so used to everybody shutting things down to paint it in the other parts of our industry. Yeah, they got to go find the rail car. Well, sure. And so that maintenance schedule lining up with your painting schedule does seem like it's very important. Absolutely. It is very expensive to move a rail car. That's just as expensive, if not more, to take one off of the tracks out of production and to put it into a shop. When it's in a shop, it's not earning the lease revenue that it is monthly. And obviously it's not doing its intended job of product. I think, Joe, to kind of round out this topic, and I think we hit on it a little bit earlier in this discussion, what is the process is, or is there a way that anybody's able to actually keep track of these kinds of things? Because I know we do stamp them on the outside, but is anybody actually keeping track of did this paint last 12 years or 20 years? Or are they just keeping them on a cycle and just painting them whenever they need to paint them? So I cannot speak to if anyone is or not, but I can assure you it would be very intelligent to do it. I think there's a lot of different products, even within our line, that have different properties about them that make them last longer than others. And getting back to what we talked about earlier is the differential in the paint is there's a lot more there than just the price per gallon. Understanding how far that your exterior coating systems are going is incredibly important. And like you said, it is stenciled on the side of the car. It's right there and generally has the applicator, the date, and the paint system right on the side of it. But that's going to get torn off, blasted, and recoded or scrapped at some point and not be there. So I sure hope that people are keeping their own records so they can see exactly how far their investment's going. Well, it's a good thing we talked to Matt already last week. Otherwise, it sounds like you volunteered for some sort of uh, research case history project that uh, we could have told Matt about for you. <laughs> <laughs> You said that Matt volunteered for what? <laughs> man, that guy is a giver. I love him. He is the man. <laughs> well, and that's that's one of the things that, you know, I totally agree is if if you look and, and you're a shop owner and things like when you see somebody's coding, 
you know, and you see a date from like 20 years ago, probably pay attention to that. And then look at the rail card. And I know that some of our 100% solids materials have made it that 20 years. And we have pictures of them. And I'm constantly amazed when I see pictures of a 20-year-old rail car with 100% solids epoxy on the side of it, that it still looks pretty good. Sure, it's not shiny anymore, but there's not corrosion. And that's the thing that we care about the most, isn't it? Asset protection, that's the key. And, you know, I want to teach you something. Um, I'm going to go for two things in one day. I don't know if I can Uh-oh. pull that up. Here we go. When you're looking at the sticker on the side of that car, it shows the paint system, it shows the applied date, it shows the applicator. Usually within a couple of feet on the same line of the car from a height standpoint, there will be a abbreviated decal that says BLT date, and that's the built date. And so that's a really good litmus test for comparing the date that the car was built, and then you compare that with the date that that coating was applied. And so you can see, you know, that maybe a car was built in 95, but, you know, a paint job was in 97, for example. So it only lasts, something only lasted two years on there, right? So. Oh, yeah, that, that would <laughs> yeah. be telling, yeah. You did, you're two for two. So as you can tell, the last two weeks, we have a very knowledgeable rail sales team. And what you always want to do when you're making a recommendation or a decision on a coating is you want to reach out to these experts. You want to talk to Joe. You want to talk to Matt. If you want to talk to those guys, reach out to us at technicalservice at carboline.com. We'll get you in contact with them. But just to kind of wrap up what we've been talking about today is that much like other industries, the, the technology has evolved to a point where people are, are wanting to use products that are in lower VOC capabilities. And not just because of their lower VOC capabilities, they offer other benefits to the shop applicator and the owner. You get a longer life cycle, you can get faster throughput in the shop. These things are all beneficial when you're making that decision to coat an exterior rail car. So Joe, thank you very much for coming on today. And you were two for two. I got two new things in my arsenal. Thanks to you. Thank you very much. And we really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. All right. For Joe and Paul, I'm Jack, and we'll see you next week. Paul, you were going to say something. You had you had that mischievous face. No, I'm good. Oh, that's it? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. And so, for the Carboline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd, we'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for your support. Who put the line in Carboline? Who put the line in Carboline? No matter where I go, they don't know what I mean. I say Carboline.